Don't you imagine that in houses all across North Korea, the TVs and the radios announce that there is an urgent message from Kim Jong-un. And every single person in the country is expected to give this message their complete and undivided attention. Want you to imagine that the announcer starts by running through some of Kim Jong-un's various titles. She says, the following message is from the Supreme Commander of the Korean People's Army. The Shining Sun, the Dear Respected Comrade. And all of these families gather around. They're bracing themselves for what's going to come next. Maybe there's going to be some really boastful update about the latest missile launch and some message about how thankful they should be for the genius of their dear leader. Then imagine Kim Jong-un himself appears on the screen and he says to the people, I want to tell you about someone who is more glorious and more worthy of respect than I am. I may command the army, but there is someone who is far more powerful than I will ever be. I want to tell you about the one who's always been in control and will be in control even when I am dead and gone. I want to tell you about the one that I bow down to. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings and he's my Lord and my Saviour. I mean, imagine that. It's, it sounds like pure fantasy, doesn't it? It sounds like something that would never happen in a million billion years and yet this evening we are looking at a passage where effectively that's exactly what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on the whole planet. He has the entire machinery of the Babylonian Empire at his disposal. And yet, this man makes an announcement. And he says to all of the people, I'm not really in control. I'm not really as glorious as you thought. I am not the one who is worthy of your praise and admiration. Let me tell you about the one who is. Let me tell you about the Most High God. It's incredible. This man, he's basically the personification of evil. He is an egomaniac. And yet he becomes a humble servant of the living God. He goes from boasting about how long his kingdom's going to last to praising the true king who really rules forever. It is the most incredible, mind-blowing chapter. Now, we started looking at this chapter uh, last week. I said last week that we would spend two weeks looking at it. I'm afraid I was wrong. We're going to spend three weeks looking at it. But what we're trying to do over the course of these three sermons is to trace how this particular man went from throwing believers into the fiery furnace to becoming a brother in the faith. And as we do that, we're going to see a glimpse of how God works in our lives. 
sometimes it's how he works in bringing us to faith for the very first time. Sometimes it's how he works in calling us to repentance whenever we stray as believers. And there's two things that we're considering uh, over this uh, series of sermons in this chapter. Last week we thought about the king who wouldn't listen. Tonight and then next week as well we want to think about the God who wouldn't stop. So the title of this evening's sermon is The God Who Wouldn't Stop. And there's five things that we want to see about this God. We're going to see two of them tonight and then we'll see three of them next week. So the first thing we see, God's warnings. Now, last week we thought about some of the different ways that King Nebuchadnezzar tried to wriggle off the hook. And certainly he couldn't say that he wasn't warned. And in the warning in this chapter, God focuses in on the root sin that lay behind all of Nebuchadnezzar's other sins. That root sin was his pride. He was too proud to recognise that God was the real king of the kingdom. And that's emphasised for us three times in this chapter. It's emphasised in verse 17, verse 25 and verse 32. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. If you want, by the way, a great example of Nebuchadnezzar kicking against that, you could look at chapter 3, verse 15. He is uh, threatening to kill Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And you can imagine the sneer on his face whenever he says, What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He was a rebel. He was defiant. He was refusing to bow down before the true king of the universe. And yet, in spite of that defiance, God was incredibly patient. I mean, just think of all the different ways that God warned Nebuchadnezzar he had to change his ways. He sent him four young men, really powerful, faithful witnesses that God is the true king. In chapter 2, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. He also gave him a crystal clear interpretation. In chapter 3, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to see this miraculous rescue from the fiery furnace. And not only that, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to see the Son of God himself with his own eyes. He's been so patient. And even in chapter 4, God provides Nebuchadnezzar with yet another warning. He gives him a dream. A dream that spells out exactly what is going to happen to him if he keeps on rebelling and keeps on sinning against God. And yet, as we see in verse 29, a whole year goes by and still Nebuchadnezzar doesn't repent. You know, there's something so, so tragic about this chapter. God acts with so much patience towards this man. And what does he do? He responds with nothing but contempt. And yet, before we start throwing stones in Nebuchadnezzar's direction, we need to let this passage ask us some difficult questions. 
I wonder, can you see something of King Nebuchadnezzar in yourself? I mean, obviously your defiance is, is probably a lot more subtle than his was. But we all have our own little kingdoms, don't we? We all live our own lives. And so the question is, are you clinging on to power yourself? Or are you allowing the Lord Jesus to call the shots? What about the different aspects of your kingdom? What about the storehouses or the treasury of your kingdom? Do you and you alone decide how that money is going to be spent? Or do you consider what God's word has to say about your hard-earned cash? What about your calendar or your diary? Do you fill it up with exactly what you want and never consider what God has to say about how you spend your time? What about your TV, your internet connection, your own body even? I mean, of course we are allowed to make decisions about those things. Of course we're allowed to enjoy ourselves. But when it comes to making those decisions, is it God's word first, my enjoyment second? Or is it the other way around? Is there some sin, maybe, in your life? Maybe it's obvious. Maybe it's buried down deep and you're just not willing to let it go. Are you as proud, as defiant as Nebuchadnezzar? Are you clinging on for dear life to the throne of your life? Has God perhaps already sent you some warnings? Maybe he's already acted with great patience towards you. Maybe you can think already of ways in which he's sounded the sirens. He's given you a chance to repent. Maybe he's spoken to you through the preaching of his word. Maybe he's spoken to you through a friend who's come alongside you and has told you things that are difficult to hear. Maybe he has shown you someone else and you have been repulsed by them. You've been repulsed by their sin and yet God has shown you your sin is just like their sin. The only difference is that they're a lot further down the path than you are. Has God given you warnings? Could it be that one of the key things you need to learn from this passage this evening is that if you don't respond to God's patience and God's warnings with repentance, he has other ways, painful ways perhaps, to make you listen. I want to plead with you this evening. Don't make the same mistake that Nebuchadnezzar did. Don't ignore God's warnings. Second thing we want to see this evening, God's acts. God's acts. Well, he certainly can't say that he wasn't warned. God sent this man an incredibly vivid dream. And even without Daniel's explanation, it should have been perfectly obvious you would think that what happens next is going to be incredibly hideously painful. Nebuchadnezzar in this dream he is pictured as a giant fruitful prosperous tree 
and in the dream the tree is cut down, the branches are cut, the leaves are stripped off and the fruit gets scattered. And after a full year of Nebuchadnezzar ignoring this warning, the divine lumberjack takes his axe and he swings it into this man's trunk. Verse 28 onwards describes how horrific this is as the axe shatters its way into the trunk and as the splinters fly. It is hideous. Nebuchadnezzar is driven out of his mind. He spends all his time acting like an animal. He eats grass, he lives outdoors, his hair grows like a bird's feathers and his nails become like claws. It is awful, it is wretched and it's pitiable. There's three things I want to say about God, God and his acts, this this lesson, this punishment that God inflicted on Nebuchadnezzar, three aspects of it. First thing, it was severe. If you were to say to King Nebuchadnezzar, in order to make you learn your lesson, God is going to take away something very, very precious to you. I wonder what he might have imagined. Maybe his royal robes, maybe one of his palaces, maybe even the kingdom itself. And yet God goes way, way beyond that. God takes something far more valuable. It's severe. And yet God in his wisdom decided this was the way that it needed to be. Sometimes in hospital there will be a patient who has a problem and the doctors run all sorts of different tests and the more tests they run the more they realise that the problem is far more serious and far more dangerous than they originally thought. And sometimes they realise that in order to save the patient they're going to have to perform really invasive surgery. Well God In his wisdom, he knows from the very outset, Nebuchadnezzar's pride is so serious, there needs to be a demolition before there can be a renovation. He doesn't need a course of antibiotics, that's not going to be enough. He needs open heart surgery. It's severe. And you need to be warned, sometimes... God deals severely with those who don't repent. You need to heed his warning tonight. Second thing I want to say about God's acts, it's poetic. I mean, just just think for a minute of how ironic this story is. Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as some sort of superhuman, and yet he becomes subhuman instead. We're told in verse 27 he refuses to share with the poor and yet he becomes poorer than the poor. He pours time and effort into building this spectacular capital city and now he's driven out of the city. He delighted in gourmet dining and fine wine. Now he eats grass. There's so much irony. And whenever you think about it, The punishment really does fit the crime, doesn't it? Because whenever you think about it, in his mind, Nebuchadnezzar was already living as an animal. 
animals always look down, don't they? Animals don't have the capacity to grasp things that aren't directly in front of them. Animals certainly don't have the capacity to worship God. Humans, on the other hand, are different. But Nebuchadnezzar hasn't been worshipping God. He hasn't been considering eternal realities. The only things this man has been concerned with are physical, his food, his comfort, his building projects. And it's almost as if God is saying to him, listen, if you want to, to think like an animal, well, why not just go all the way? Why not eat and sleep and live like an animal as well? There's something very appropriate about how God wields his axe. Does raise a question though. Is there a sense in which you are living and thinking like Nebuchadnezzar? You know, one of the marks of insanity is that you live out of step with reality. I wonder if that's the case with you. Are you acting as if God's authority over the universe somehow stops at some particular nook or cranny of your life? Do you act as if you'll be able to find all of the pleasure and all of the satisfaction that you need in something else like a relationship or a social life or a bottle? Are you being recklessly narrow-minded? Are you fixating on the here and now and not giving any thought whatsoever to what comes next? Could it be that if God is going to restore you, he's going to have to lift his axe? Nebuchadnezzar's suffering was very apt given the way he lived. In effect, God allowed him to live the way he'd always wanted to. Maybe for some of you, that is exactly what God is going to do if you don't repent now. That's a hideous thing. Nebuchadnezzar shows us it's a hideous thing. So again, I'm pleading with you, don't make the same mistake. So we've seen so far that this axe, it was severe, it was poetic. A third thing we're going to say about it, and we'll be thinking more about this next week, it was kind. What would have happened to Nebuchadnezzar if God had not intervened? You know, I've got a friend and he's a tree surgeon. I'll not pretend that I understand everything that he does but I do know that he uses saws and he uses different sharp tools whenever he works on a tree but it would be wrong for us to say that he hacks at the tree or at least I think it would because I've never actually seen him work but he doesn't hack the whole point of what he does is to protect the tree it is to treat the tree he cuts parts of the tree away because if he doesn't cut those parts of the tree away, then the tree is going to have to be brought down completely. It's for the tree's good. You know, Maybe if we were to use imagery that we're a bit more familiar with, a surgeon in a hospital uses an extremely sharp scalpel. There's nothing pleasant 
about slicing into your patient's body. But if there are things inside of that body that are rotten or are dangerous, then the surgeon's scalpel is an instrument of kindness. And I think it's clear in this passage, God is not hacking away like an amateur. God is taking care. Now, okay, I know that in this passage the tree is cut all the way down to the stump, but God is more than capable of reversing that, and he does do that in due course. But God is acting out of kindness. Like a surgeon. Because if God does not act, then Nebuchadnezzar's pride and stubbornness are going to harden his heart even more than they already have. And if that continues, then this man is going to have to face everlasting judgment on account of his sins. I wonder, can some of you empathise with this? Maybe you can look back on times when God has wielded the axe in your life. Maybe a serious diagnosis. Maybe the loss of a job. Maybe a relationship breakup. Maybe the loss of someone you love. Maybe disappointing exam results. And yet, as you look back on those things, you can see how God was working. You can see that God was forcing you to change as a person. He, he took away something precious or he took away something that you were dreaming of and he forced you to stop looking down and to start looking up. Maybe some of you can look back and you can look at that pain and you can honestly say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you struck me with your axe. Maybe some of you are going through something really painful right now. And I want you to know I don't want to rack you with guilt this evening. I don't want you to think that just because you're suffering, you must have done something to bring it on. We can't say that. But could it be that some of you, this is God's way of getting you to wake up. Maybe this evening you're not yet a believer. Could it be that you have ignored God's call to repentance? Maybe you've done it for years and years and years. And what you are facing now is simply God's way of exposing the emptiness of the things you've replaced them with. It's a question you have to ask. And I think as well as that, this passage is particularly relevant to us right now, given the circumstances that we're in. Life as we know it has been turned on its head. and I, you know, We can't draw a straight line. We can't point to particular things that have been done and we can't say, well, this is why God has sent the virus. God is far wiser than we are. His wisdom goes far beyond what we can grasp. So we can't second guess him. But we also can't escape the fact that our country and many, many other countries have acted proudly. They've acted rebelliously against King Jesus. What have we done as a nation? We have shaken our fists into heaven, haven't we? We have said it is the will of the people that is the most important thing. 
and if it's the will of the people that this law be changed or that law be changed, then the Bible should have no say in the matter. It's pride. It's defiance. It's rebellion. And so it's fair to ask, as the stock market drops like a lead balloon, as shop shutters slam shut, as transport screeches to a halt, is this God wielding his axe? Is this God calling the nations, in the words of Psalm 2, to kiss the sun to turn away his wrath? Maybe for some of you watching, the axe has struck and it's brought a great deal of personal pain. Maybe you're having to face great loneliness. Maybe you're having to cocoon yourself in your own home and you miss your friends. You miss your family. Maybe the plans that you have been making have been smashed into smithereens. Plans to spend time with your family. Plans to go on holiday. Plans to get ready for your exams, perhaps. Maybe financially, you're facing a great deal of uncertainty. Maybe your job is at risk. Maybe your income has dried up. Please don't take this the wrong way. I am not suggesting that God is punishing you. But is God teaching you? Is God using this time when you're cooped up within your home to show you the sin within your heart? Is he using this time and this uncertainty to drive you closer to him in prayer? Is he using all of this turmoil to expose the flimsiness of some of the things that you used to get your confidence from? Is he using these restrictions to take away your opportunity to indulge in certain sins? Is he using it to give you a way of escape from those sins? Is he slowing you down so that you can meditate on his law day and night? Maybe, as all those things you used to take for granted have just disappeared in a puff of smoke just like that, maybe God is calling you to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who never changes. It's really important that we ask the question, is this God's axe at work in my life? Is God teaching me something in the midst of this crisis? Maybe we need to take a leaf out of Nebuchadnezzar's book. We need to stop looking down. We need to start looking up. And perhaps as we do that, we'll come to appreciate the kindness of God's acts.